Chapter Thirteen of the Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Thirteen. Should I take aught of you? Tis true, I begged now, and what is worse than that? I stole a kindness, and what is worst of all, I lost my way in Wit without money. The face of the little boy, sole witness of Caleb's infringement upon the laws at once of property and hospitality, would have made a good picture. He sat motionless, as if he had witnessed some of the spectral appearances which he had heard told of in a winter's evening, and as he forgot his own duty, he allowed his spit to stand still. He added to the misfortunes of the evening by suffering the mutton to burn as black as a coal. He was first recalled from his trance of astonishment by a hearty cuff administered by Dame Lightbody, who, in whatever other respects she might conform to her name, was a woman strong of person and expert in the use of her hands, as some say her deceased husband had known to his cost. "'What guard ye let the roast burn, ye ill-clerket good for now?' "'I dinna ken,' said the boy. "'And where's that ill-deedy get, Giles?' "'I dinna ken,' blubbered the astonished declarant. "'And where's Mr. Balderstone? "'And abon all, and in the name of council and kirk session, "'that I should say say, where's the brooch with a wild fowl?' "'As Mrs. Girder here entered, and joined her mother's exclamations, "'screaming into one ear, while the old lady deafened the other, they succeeded in so utterly confounding the unhappy urchin that he could not for some time tell his story at all, and it was only when the elder boy returned that the truth began to dawn on their minds. "'Weel, sirs,' said Mrs. Lightbody, "'wha would he thought a Caleb Balderston, plain an old acquaintance, sick a plisky?' "'Oh, weary on him,' said the spouse of Mr. Girder. "'And what am I to say to the good man? "'He'll brain me, if there wasna another woman in all Wolf's hope.' "'Hoot toot, silly queen,' said the mother. "'No, no, it's come to muckle, but it's no come to that neither. "'For an he brain you, he maun brain me. "'For I have guard his better stand back. "'Hands aff is fair play, he maunna heed a bit flightin'. The tramp of horses now announced the arrival of the cooper with the minister. They had no sooner dismounted than they made for the kitchen fire, for the evening was cool after the thunderstorm, and the woods wet and dirty. The young goodwife, strong in the charms of her Sunday gown and bigonets, threw herself in the way of receiving the first attack, while her mother, like the veteran division of the Roman legion, remained in the rear, ready to support her in case of necessity. Both hoped to protract the discovery of what had happened, the mother by interposing her bustling person betwixt Mr. Girder and the fire, and the daughter by the extreme cordiality with which she received the minister and her husband, and the anxious fears which she expressed, lest they should have gotten called. Called? quoth the husband, surlily, for he was not of that class of lords and masters whose wives are viceroys over them. We'll be called in ye, I think, if ye dinna let us into the fire. And so saying, he burst his way through both lines of defence, 
and as he had a careful eye over his property of every kind, he perceived at one glance the absence of the spit with its savoury burden. "'What the deal, woman?' "'Fie, for shame!' exclaimed both the women, "'and before Mr. Bide the Bent.' "'I stand reproved,' said the cooper, "'but the taking in our mouths the name of the great enemy of our souls,' said Mr. Bide the Bent, "'I stand reproved.' said the cooper. "'Is an exposing ourselves to his temptations,' continued the reverend monitor, "'and in inviting, or in some sort a compelling, of him to lay aside his other trafficking with unhappy persons, and wait upon those in whose speech his name is frequent.' "'Weel, weel, Mr. Bidebent, can a man do mair than stand reproved?' said the cooper. "'But jest let me ask the women.' "'What for they hae dished the wildfowl before we came?' "'The arna dished, Gilbert,' said his wife, "'but—but but an accident—' "'What accident?' said Gerder, with flashing eyes. "'Nay, ill come ower them a trust, eh?' His wife, who stood much in awe of him, durst not reply, but her mother bustled up to her support, with arms disposed as if they were about to be akimbo at the next reply. I gied them to an acquaintance of mine, Gibbie Girder. And what about it now? Her excess of assurance struck Girder mute for an instant. And ye gied the wildfowl, the best end of our christening dinner, to a friend of yours, ye old Ruddus? And what might his name be, I pray ye? Just worthy Mr. Caleb Balderstone, free Wolf's Crag, answered Marion, prompt and prepared for battle. Gerda's wrath foamed over all restraint. If there was a circumstance which could have added to the resentment he felt, it was that this extravagant donation had been made in favour of her friend Caleb, towards whom, for reasons to which the reader is no stranger, he nourished a decided resentment. He raised his riding wand against the elder matron, but she stood firm, collected in herself, and undauntedly brandished the iron ladle with which she had just been flambing, in English basting, the roast of mutton. Her weapon was certainly the better, and her arm not the weakest of the two, so that Gilbert thought it safest to turn short off upon his wife, who had by this time hatched a sort of hysterical whine, which greatly moved the minister, who was in fact as simple and kind-hearted a creature as ever breathed. "'And you, you thoughless jade!' to sit still and see my substance disponsed upon an idle, drunken, reprobate, worm-eaten serving-man, just because he kittles the lugs o' a silly old wife wi' useless clavers, and every twa words a lee. I'll gar ye as good. Here the minister interposed, both by voice and action, while Dame Lightbody threw herself in front of her daughter, and flourished her ladle. Am I no to chastise my ain wife? exclaimed the cooper very indignantly. "'You may chastise your ain wife if you like,' answered Dame Lightbody, "'but ye shall never lay finger on my daughter, and that ye may found upon.' "'For shame, Mr. Girder,' said the clergyman, "'this is what I little expected to have seen of you, that you should give rein to your sinful passions against your nearest and dearest, and this night too,' when you are called to the most solemn duty of a Christian parent, and offer what? For a redundancy of creature comforts, as worthless as they are unneedful. Worthless? exclaimed the cooper. 
A better goose never walk it on stubble. Two finer, dentier wild ducks never wat a feather. Be it say, neighbour, rejoined the minister, but see what superfluities are yet revolving before your fire. I have seen the day when ten of the bannocks which stand upon that board would have been an acceptable dainty to as many men that were starving on hills and bogs and in caves of the earth for the gospel's sake. "'And that's what vexes me maist of all,' said the cooper, anxious to get someone to sympathise with his not altogether causeless anger. "'And the queen had gain it to ony suffering sant, or to onybody other, but that reaving, lying, oppressing Tory villain that rade in the wicked troop of militia when it was commanded out against the sants at Bothwell Brig by the old tyrant Alan Ravenswood, that is gan to his place, I would the less he minded it. But to gie the principal parts of the feast to the like o' him. Ah, oh, weel, Gilbert, said the minister, and dinna ye see a high judgment in this? The seed of the righteous are not seen begging their bread. Think of the son of a powerful oppressor being brought to the pass of supporting his household from your fullness. And besides, said the wife, it wasna for Lord Ravenswood neither, and he would hear but a body speak. It was to help to entertain the Lord Keeper, as they call him, that's up yonder at Wolf's Crag. Sir William Ashton at Wolf's Crag, ejaculated the astonished man of hoops and staves. And hand and glove with Lord Ravenswood, added Dame Lightbody. Doited idiot! That old clavering snack drawer would gar ye trow the moon is made o' green cheese. The Lord Keeper in Ravenswood, they are cat and dog, hare and hound. I tell ye they are man and wife, and gree better than some others that are say, retorted the mother-in-law. Forby, Peter Punchin, that's Cooper the Queen's stores, is dead, and the place is to fill, and— God guide us, will ye hod your skirling tongues? said Gerter, for we are to remark that this explanation was given like a catch for two voices, the younger dame, much encouraged by the turn of the debate, taking up and repeating in a higher tone the words, as fast as they were uttered by her mother. "'The good wife says naething but what's true, maister,' said Gerter's foreman, who had come in during the fray. "'I saw the Lord Keeper's servants drinking and driving our at lucky smotrashes, our by yonder.' "'And is their maister up at Wolf's Crag?' said Gerder. "'Aye, truth is he,' replied his man of confidence. "'And friends with Ravenswood?' "'It's like, say,' answered the foreman, "'since he is putting up with him.' "'And Peter Punchin's dead?' "'Aye, aye, Punchin has leaped out at last, the old girl,' said the foreman. "'Mony a dribble of brandy has gone through him in his day. "'But as for the brooch and the wild fowl, the saddle's no aff your mare yet, maister, and I could follow and bring it back, for Mr. Balderstone's no far aff the town yet. Do say, Will, and come here. I'll tell you what to do when you overtake him. He relieved the females of his presence, and gave Will his private instructions. A bonny-like thing, said the mother-in-law, as the cooper re-entered the apartment, to send the innocent lad after an armed man. When you ken Mr. Balderstone, I wears a rapier, and whiles a dirk into the bargain. I trust, said the minister, ye have reflected weel on what ye have done, lest ye should minister cause of strife, 
of which it is my duty to say, he who affordeth matter, albeit he himself striketh not, is in no matter guiltless. Never fash your beard, Mr. Bide the Bent, replied Girder. Yin canna get the breath out here between wives and ministers. I ken best how to turn my ain cake. Jean, serve up the dinner, and name ere about it. Nor did he again allude to the deficiency in the course of the evening. Meantime, the foreman, mounted on his master's steed, and charged with his special orders, pricked swiftly forth in pursuit of the marauder Caleb. That personage, it may be imagined, did not linger by the way. He intermitted even his dearly beloved chatter for the purpose of making more haste, only assuring Mr. Lockhard that he had made the purveyor's wife give the wildfowl a few turns before the fire, in case that Mysie, who had been so much alarmed by the thunder, should not have her kitchen grate in full splendour. Meanwhile, alleging the necessity of being at Wolf's Crag as soon as possible, he pushed on so fast that his companions could scarce keep up with him. He began already to think he was safe from pursuit, having gained the summit of the swelling eminence which divides Wolf's Crag from the village, when he heard the distant tread of a horse, and a voice which shouted at intervals, Mr. Caleb! Mr. Balderstone! Mr. Caleb Balderstone! Hello! Bide a wee! Caleb, it may be well believed, was in no hurry to acknowledge the summons. First, he would not hear it, and faced his companions down, that it was the echo of the wind. Then he said it was not worth stopping for, and at length, halting reluctantly, as the figure of the horseman appeared through the shades of the evening, he bent up his whole soul to the task of defending his prey, threw himself into an attitude of dignity, advanced the spit, which in his grasp might with its burden seem both spear and shield, and firmly resolved to die rather than surrender it. What was his astonishment when the cooper's foreman, riding up and addressing him with respect, told him his master was very sorry he was absent when he came to his dwelling, and grieved that he could not tarry the christening dinner, and that he had ta'en the freedom to send a small runlet of sack, and yin anchor of brandy, as he understood there were guests at the castle, and that they were short of preparation. I have heard somewhere a story of an elderly gentleman who was pursued by a bear that had gotten loose from its muzzle, until completely exhausted. In a fit of desperation, he faced round upon Bruin, and lifted his cane, at the sight of which the instinct of discipline prevailed, and the animal, instead of tearing him to pieces, rose up upon his hind legs, and instantly began to shuffle a saraband. Not less than the joyful surprise of the senior, who had supposed himself in the extremity of peril from which he was thus unexpectedly relieved, was that of our excellent friend Caleb, when he found the pursuer intended to add to his prize instead of bereaving him of it. He recovered his latitude, however, instantly, so soon as the foreman, stepping from his nag, where he sat perched betwixt the two barrels, whispered in his ears, If only thing about Peter Punchin's place could be airted their way, John, Gibby, Girder, would mak it better to the master of Ravenswood than a pair of new gloves, and that he would be blithe to speak wi' master Balderstone on that head, and he would find him as pliant as a hoop-willow in all that he could wish of him. Caleb heard all this without rendering any answer, except that of all great men from Louis the Fourteenth downwards, namely, 
we will see about it and then added aloud for the edification of mr lockhard your master has acted with becoming civility and attention in forwarding the liquors and i will not fail to represent it properly to my lord ravenswood and my lad he said you may ride on to the castle and if none of the servants are returned whilk is to be dreaded as they make day and night of it when they are out of sight you may put them into the porter's lodge whilk is on the right hand of the great entry the porter has got leave to go to see his friends so you will meet nae in to steer ye the foreman having received his orders rode on and having deposited the casks in the deserted and ruinous porter's lodge he returned unquestioned by any one having thus executed his master's commission and doffed his bonnet to caleb and his company as he repassed them in his way to the village he returned to have his share of the christening festivity End of chapter 13